knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals and this is Colleen Sharp and I have a special guest co-host that's going to be sitting in sitting in while Ashley is on maternity leave. No, she hasn't had the baby yet, but she's almost ready to. So she's kind of needing some time just to rest, understandably, especially in the hot California heat. And so with us tonight is Angela. And some of you may know her from Twitter. If you're on Reformed Twitter, I've gotten her involved a little bit recently. And so to kind of initiate Angela tonight, I picked a very easy topic. Not really. <laughs> I, I announced on Twitter that um, we had a really controversial topic tonight. And and one of the guys said something like, I know what you're going to talk about Um Keto or what did he say? Keto or paleo? Keto or, uh, paleo or Atkins? Yeah, that's right. And Angela I've got said, all of "My cauliflower recipes ready." That's right, because I'm sure that's <laughs> exactly what people turn tune into theology gals Let's for. Talk about how to make dessert out of bacon. That's right. Oh, I yeah, maybe we should do that. That's like a good episode <laughs> for the future. About that. <laughs> so, Angela, I know some of the gals in our group will know you because you've got your admin hat on. She's one of the admins in the group. So we send her in with Jean out. We we have the, the person who comes in and, like, takes care of things. So, Angela, you or anything about you. So why don't you share just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um I am a wife and mom. I have two sweet little kids. My little girl is almost three and my little boy is almost five. And um, our family just recently moved to the Chicagoland area, which we love. We love it here so much. We live in an old house. Um, It was built in 1914. We love old things. So uh, we love old houses. We love antiques. We loved reformed theology. And uh, that's pretty old. Um, (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So we just like all the old stuff. Um, We like things that have character and that have history and 
And that, I mean, it, I am joking, but I'm also serious. Um, that's one of the things that I love about Reformed theology is there's so much rich history that goes into understanding how the theology was developed and how it's been handed down um, from the early church. And, and we just love that. And you're kind of a new Presbyterian. Yes, that's yes, uh, that's a um, great point to make. Um, we actually, my husband and I had been Calvinist uh, for a long, long time, maybe 15 years or more. But I just started enjoying um, the Theology Gals podcast maybe a year ago. And all of a sudden, you know, we had gone through some uh, personal study right about the same time, just some catalysts in our life had us opening up the books and studying. And um, I came across Theology Gals and started to listen and started sharing some of the podcasts with my husband and said, you have got to listen to this. They're saying all the things that we're saying. <laughs> They're saying all the things that we believe in. <laughs> how is How can this be? We've We've never come across. And and we just, you know, that's what it took for us to realize that there was a whole world of of Reformed theology, a whole complete system, a whole enchilada that we had not known about before. And it was just a wonderful uh, thing for us. And it's been a really exciting time in our family, just a really happy time of discovering and studying together and finding a new church. Um, We did... um, start going to a Presbyterian church in uh, Alabama before we moved, and we loved it so much. Um, We both got a little emotional on our last Sunday there, and um, so we knew we were coming to Chicago area, and we found out where we were going to buy a house, and I started looking right away if there were any Presbyterian churches around, and there was a PCA church about five minutes from our house here. And so shout out to all my new friends at Westminster Presbyterian in Elgin. We love it so much. Um, It has just been so sweet to get to know new friends and spend time talking about what we believe, Reformed theology, the confessions, um, all of those sorts of things, and find that when we meet people um, from our congregation, there is something that we already have in common, and it's just really refreshing and wonderful, and we're enjoying it a lot. So that is what's going on with us. Yeah, and isn't it wonderful? I mean, when you, different than so many people, when you move to a new area and you know there's good churches nearby, which we talked about in your Finding a Church podcast in Chicago does not have any shortage of good Presbyterian churches as we lived there once and went to just two when we lived up north in the northern suburbs, went to a wonderful RPCNA, and then we moved to the southern, to the southwest suburbs, and went to a wonderful OPC. And one, you know, it's, it's such such a difference when you move to a place and you automatically get connected with this community because you, you get in a church and think Mm -hmm. of people that aren't, aren't Christians, aren't in a church or people that, you know, they're, I, I talked to a gal who her husband's company transferred her and there's just not a lot nearby, but when you, you move and you connect with a good church, it just, it makes such a difference. Absolutely. I I don't know how people do it without the body. I really don't. Um, And, you know, just some of some of our background of what we're coming from uh, more broader 
evangelicalism. It is amazing to have a, a theology of the church itself, what's going on when we're there with the body on Sunday. That has made just a tremendous difference um, for us. And it's just been a very joyful time. We're, we look forward to every week. We look forward to every time we get together with others. So that's been really good. I, I've even met some friends at our church here who used to go to the same church, um, I believe, that you went to, Colleen. So oh, that's um, right. I it think is you kind of a small world. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And, you know, we would love to move back to that area. I don't know that it's going to happen or happen anytime, but I, I loved loved living there for the time that I did, which was I moved there uh, to, I was planning on continuing my education at, at a school there. And I decided to take a couple years off to save money, met my husband and got married instead. And we lived there for a few years. And then my husband got transferred here to Colorado, and that was 21 years ago. But we go back a lot. It's where my husband grew up. It's where we have lots of friends and family. I have family there, too, which is really nice. So we're going to go to a quick break, and then we'll be back with our topic. Hi, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast network from Thorn Crown Ministries. They have podcasts like Semper Reformanda Radio, Radio Lux Lucid, and The Protestant Witness with Pastor Patrick Hines. So check them out at thorncrownministries.com. I wanted to give a little disclaimer before we get into our topic today, because there's some ways in which this will be a two-part episode, and I want to explain that. We're going to be talking about, if you clicked on it, you know what the title is, about men and women in the church being friends. And the reason we're going to talk about it is if you're on social media, especially in kind of reform circles, and maybe you aren't, I know we have listeners who aren't on social media, but you have seen some of the debates about whether men and women can be friends. And part of the reason those debates have been going on is Amy Bird has a new book coming out called Why Can't We Be Friends? And so what I wanted to say is it's our hope to have Amy Bird on to talk specifically about her book when she comes on. So this is not going to be about Amy's book so much as it's going to be about the controversy and some things that we have learned through the years. Both Angela and I have been married a longer time. Angela, how long have you been married? We just celebrated our 17th anniversary just a few days ago. Oh, so Angela's been married 17 years, and I've been married almost 23 years on August 12th. It'll be 23 years. And so Angela and I have been having some conversations centering, centering around some of the, the debates on social media, some of the articles that have come out. I will put in the episode notes articles that have come out on both sides. And I think also just offering some clarity, because one thing I've noticed in this discussion is, and I've talked to some of the people involved, and there's a lot of misrepresentation about what, at least what, what I know that Angela and I have been trying to say 
in in the debate and, and what some other people. And so we want to offer some clarity. We want we want to talk about what this conversation is because there's a lot of things that that have come up that I know that Angela and I have talked about because of the debate. And then I I think that one thing that has been missing from all of the talk is just what we're talking about on a practical level. Because I think that's where some of the misunderstanding is coming from. So let's go ahead and start with what it is that started this debate. And a lot of people have probably heard about what's called the Pence Rule. And I think a lot of the current debate has centered around the Pence Rule. And the Pence Rule actually was because it, it came from Mike Pence, our vice the vice president of the United States. But of course, people have only known him and his rule for a few years or even a couple of years. It actually came from Billy Graham. So this was originally called the Billy Graham rule. So if you don't know what it is, um, I'm going to, I found somebody who wrote a description and I'm going to read it. The Pence rule is the personal practice some Christian men have adopted of never eating, drinking, or spending alone time with an unrelated woman. The idea is to avoid not only temptation, but also the appearance of impropriety and the possibility of false accusations. So I know one of the debates, at least in a conversation I have, is a lot of people thought that the Pence rule was primarily about appearances. And then some other people thought it was primarily about avoiding temptation. But I think it's, it's actually about both. And so that's that's what this this Pence rule is. Now, I, one thing I wanted to say is in some discussions and things that I have seen around, there's different extremes to this rule. There are people who say you should not email with the opposite sex. You should not text. You should not private message. You know, there there's only a couple of people I've ever seen that have said I won't even interact unless I absolutely have to with a woman. I think that's pretty rare. I think that's that's a pretty rare extreme. But I don't think it's it's particularly rare to say, you know, I can never email, text, have an extended phone conversation with the opposite sex. So there's different extremes of what this is. And I think the debate really surrounds is surrounded on the idea that this should be a standard that all Christians should hold to. Right. And so even though, I, and Angela and I will share some of our background and why we believe what we do and some and whatnot. But one thing I did want to say from the start, it, if it's a standard that you and your wife have decided is a good idea for you, we are not criticizing you for it. But I I would argue that I think it is unwise to say this is an absolute standard that every Christian should have. Right. I, I agree with you. I think that uh, some of the difficulty going on in this conversation is comes into play when people say things like, if you don't use the Pence rule, that is just unwise. You are necessarily unwise because you do not use the Pence rule in your own marriage. Or um, I think it's just, uh, 
you know, we talk about the, the idea of binding another person's conscience. It, it's it's when we take something that may be wisdom for us, and it may not be inherently bad or, or even wrong. Um, it may be just fine or neutral. But when we try to extend that to other people and say, you should be doing this too. And we even go beyond saying, hey, consider this. We say, this is the picture of what wisdom is and anything that falls short of this, you're being unwise necessarily. And I think we're just trying to say that, that we, we need to take a step back and see if that is really a good characterization. And one of the things that has bothered me a little bit is comments like if, if people, like even making accusations against specific people, that if this person over here thinks that men and women can be friends, they'll be divorced in 10 years. Those sorts of mm-hmm, comments. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, even what you're talking about mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. You're, when you're saying that you are then unwise and you will pay for being unwise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you don't have this standard. Right. And and what that's really doing is just setting up this rule as the definition of wisdom. Um, and, you know, we know from the word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to seek the word. Um, does the word give us this this specific? If it doesn't, then um, we need to really be careful that we don't um, set up a whole system and require others to follow it or else. Right. And that that's a really good point. And I think the other thing that has bothered me is that if you say, I, I believe, and, and I actually do, that men and women can be friends. And I'm going to clarify because what happens, I don't know why, but it happens in so many conversations is people automatically think that what I mean is that I think it's okay for a man and woman to, who aren't married to go out and have a candlelight dinner. And right. that is definitely <laughs> right. not at all what I'm saying. I would like to actually share, because I want to share some practical here, mine and my husband's own story. And that is that we started out with this with this rule. And and for the most part, we, we're not alone with people of the opposite sex, generally speaking. But mm-hmm. now this is when this is rule is the rule, it is the rule. There right. is no there is no straying from it. So before cell phones, my husband, I'm not sure if I'm remembering the story exactly correctly, but it was something like this. He would he would take the the bus to work and there was a situation one night there was a, a woman there it may have been a co-worker I can't remember but her car wouldn't start there's no phones around whatever he said I'll give you a quick ride home and that was the first time and he came home and he said you know I gave her a ride home I know that's this is we'd been married like two years I know that that's contrary to the the rules that we made but you know I, I wasn't going to leave her there and I was like oh yeah that's fine I mean he was home like maybe five minutes later than he normally would have been. And so that was the first time that we kind of maybe for a second took a step back and thought, okay, maybe this isn't a standard for everything that there, there are things. And I've seen things online. I'm not going to say who said it like, you know, I wouldn't ride alone in a car with a woman. Maybe if she had a broken leg or maybe if she had a heart attack or something like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. this is what I'm saying is it's an absolute standard that unless you absolutely have to. And I read in one of the articles, you know, a story about a woman, I think she was really sick and she needed some man to help her and he wouldn't walk into her hotel room to help her. I mean, the woman Mm -hmm. was sick. Mm -hmm. And so 
when you're looking at this absolute standard as if walking to the hotel room to help this woman to the elevator to give her a ride to the hospital instead of helping this woman, you know, and where we get to the point of, I mean, nothing's going to happen walking to the hotel room to, you know, walk her to the elevator or whatever the situation was. And so then several years ago, my husband does not travel for work very often, but he had to go to some training in San Francisco. And I think the only person that went with him was a woman that he works with. Now, this woman, I think at this time was about 70 years old. And my husband probably in his early to mid 40s. It was a while ago. And so my husband's older than me because everyone's now doing the math. How old's Colleen? So he called me and he said, you know, no one else is here. Are you okay with me going to dinner with her? Now, I am very familiar with this woman. He's worked with her for a while. She's like a mother figure to my husband. Okay. And I was like, yeah, of course. You know, like I'll make up a name, Sally. Yeah, I don't care. You know, it's like she's like a she's like a grandma. I mean, he always that's how he refers to her. And even, you know, when he got home that night, he was gone for an hour, called me, went back. And she's a Christian, too. Mm -hmm. So he's he's like, yeah. So she was showing me pictures of her grandkids and telling me all these stories about her grandkids and blah, blah, blah. And and one thing we're talking about later is that we do think that boundaries are necessary. But the one thing that Amy Bird talks about is that those boundaries may be different depending on the relationship. And I think that's that's really important. So we my husband and I really have rethought this as we've been married longer and situations that are not unwise, where you might be with somebody of the opposite sex. Right. And I think, um, you know, thinking about your story with your husband going out to dinner with his coworker, I think it's wonderful that you were able to consider the situation and you wanted him to extend brotherly, sisterly love to this woman who he knew from work, who was also a believer. And I think, you know, in some of these conversations that we've been a part of, there are folks who are saying that what he should have done was said, nope, Sally, enjoy your night in the hotel all by yourself. I won't go to dinner with you. Um, And so it's interesting that what you all were able to do was evaluate the situation and use wisdom to say, yeah, this is this is a great instance where um, I can show uh, love to a coworker. Right. I'm thinking about um, my own history with situations like this, and it's actually really similar to your story. I am a business person. That's what uh, I did for a job before I was a stay-at-home mom. I'm an accounting and finance manager. And I used to work in federal contracting. And when I first got started, I got my first job uh, working in federal contracting. That is a very peculiar world. There's a lot of jargon, a lot of ropes to be learned, a lot of ways to misstep. And working in that world was a, a man who's just a touch older than my dad, a very sweet man. He's a Lutheran. And he really, really took me under his wing and mentored me. And he did not have to do that. I I don't think, you know, I couldn't say that we went out to lunch weekly or even monthly, but we did more than once, quite a few times. And I know that we spent a lot of time together working on budgets or, you know, if I had a, a question about, okay, I'm not sure what to do in this situation, I knew I could always come to him plenty of time spent with the door shut, but there was, 
never any hint of impropriety. And, um, you know, even beyond when um, I got promoted and was no longer working for him, I could still go to him with difficult situations and get really wise advice. He just really built into me. And I just think about, first of all, I really treasure those memories and I really treasured that relationship. You know, this is what, what is, what I would hope that we could count on from other believers is to pass on that kind of wisdom. And that is exactly what he did for me. Um, And I look back on that relationship and think, wow, if I had followed a hard rule like this, I would have completely missed out on a lot of things with him. I would have completely missed out on that relationship. And uh, I'm so glad that I didn't. I have wonderful memories and learned a lot so much from him. We know we know that affairs happen, okay? We know that they even happen among Christians. And I think I think it's important to talk a little bit about marriage. And one of the things that I think is extremely important is this is something you and your spouse should be talking about. Mm-hmm. And what what you think is appropriate, what are appropriate boundaries, those sorts of things. And Angela, I think you even had some thoughts on this. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting to me to think about what is a healthy marriage? What are we, what are we, what is the measuring stick that we're using to decide, hey, my marriage is healthy. I It, it is really beneficial and we're working together, all of those things. And it just makes me wonder a little, are we in this conversation reducing our definition of a healthy marriage down to simply no one has committed adultery? It makes me sad maybe to think about couples who no one's committed adultery, but they're miserable. They are not showing uh, love to one another and maybe they fight a lot or whatever it is. But I think we all know people like that who adultery is not the issue, but they're miserable and it's, it's heartbreaking. And so I, it, it, it makes me want to consider the heart of the matter that, that, that is underlying these sorts of issues. Why do people have affairs in the first place? It's uh, oftentimes because something deeper was going on. You know what? You are so right. And in the past, I've actually talked to some women, and I'm not saying this is always the case, but I did I did ask them about this, and they said something interesting. They said, and these women were in just rotten marriages. Their husbands were not loving them. Husbands were not treating them well. And, and they said, what happened was, is that every man that was nice to them they were attracted to. And I found that so fascinating because I don't Mm -hmm. really find, I have this wonderful husband (laughs) that I adore. I mean, I like on a daily basis, I'm thankful to God for him because he's, he loves me. Like I'm amazed every day at the way that he loves me, that the way that he just demonstrates biblical love, Christ-like love towards me, the grace that he shows me and the caring and the love. And, and so this is foreign to me, like being attracted to other men. It's not Mm -hmm, something that mm -hmm. 
that I've struggled with, but I thought that that was interesting. Now, I think that there are also situations, I know that there are situations where there's maybe sex addiction or different other things that mm-hmm. that end up leading to something, but I think that you are right on to think that we need to talk about marriage in this conversation and what is a healthy marriage. And I think one of those things that is is looking at Ephesians 5, and we've talked about that on other podcasts. It's such a beautiful picture. There was a conversation on Twitter today where someone was upset about the idea that a woman would submit, would need to submit to her husband. And I'm always thinking, but that's that's in view of this beautiful picture. It's not just a woman submitting to her husband. It's a woman submitting to her husband and Lord willing, if it's the way God intended, it's a husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. So it's not a husband who is controlling his wife or, or just looking out for his own good. He's, he's looking out for her good. Right. Sacrificial. Um, it's, yes. it's all about that servant leadership. I, I remember growing up, I, I didn't tell this about myself earlier, but my husband and I grew up at the same church. So that's kind of fun. We have a lot of the same memories and um, we get to talk about a lot of the things that we grew up learning and hearing at church. And one of the things that our pastor said when we were growing up, when he was teaching on headship was he would speak to the men and say, men, let me tell you how to lead your wife in a way that will ensure she will never want another man. And then he would proceed to talk about servant leadership and how to serve her. And, you know, I I resonate with what you said. It's It's something that I see in my own husband. And I've said, I know I've said this in the group before on different threads where we had these conversations. What I just love about my husband is that he gives me a real live picture every day of what it means that Christ loves the church. Um, He, no one in my life serves me on a day to day basis more than my husband does. He is up early getting my kids out of bed, he is doing the dishes late at night. Um, he works very hard and I just see that every day. And so it's amazing how, when we are doing those things that we are supposed to be doing the way that the word tells us in Ephesians, that this is how we get our marriages firing on all cylinders and really bring health of our marriage into the picture. Yeah. It's just such a blessing because we, we know, let me just stop and say, we know that some of you are in difficult marriages. Absolutely. And and if you are in that place, the the best advice I can give you is hopefully you're in a good church. If you're not, mm-hmm. find a good church. Um, but talk to your pastor. Mm-hmm. Talk to your pastor because he can offer you. We, we can't speak to every situation that people may be in, but your pastor knows you. He probably knows your husband. He knows he can understand what you're going through and offer you counsel that we could not on this podcast. Absolutely. So I want to say that I know that we have some men listening. Husbands love your wives. You know, I, not that I, you, you know, hopefully you have a pastor who's encouraging you to do that, but, but I think that's, that's important. I think good communication is definitely one of the things that, Absolutely is important. And that's why I said, this is something you and your husband, instead of these set rules, I do think that you and your husband should be talking and should be talking about this very thing. You should be talking about everything. 
that this is one of the things that you can be talking to your husband about. Are there some other things that you would add to that as far as a healthy marriage? Sure. You mentioned communication. This is one of the things that um, Matt and I love to do. We started doing this years ago when we were going through a difficult time. At a certain time of the evening, we go outside and sit on our back porch and just talk about the day and things that things that we're thinking about. And, you know, sometimes that has developed over the years into we're not always having a deep, dark discussion. Um, Sometimes we're sitting side by side, goofing off on the web, but we are involved in what is going on with one another. There, there are really no secrets. That's, that's a, a big deal in our family. We don't keep secrets. And so You know, even for a perfect example, my husband works from home. We love that. We love having daddy home throughout the day. But because he works remote, uh, a big part of how they conduct business is private chats and video conference. Um, But with just regular coworkers, it's a lot of times just private chat. And he works with men and women. So, you know, there's a lot of one-on-one chat that happens that is work. And um, that is how it is. And that is something that I am completely fine with that because that allows my husband to be home with our family and it's wonderful and it's something that we love. But you know what? I'm even involved in what's going on with his work. We talk about it all the time. Everything that is going on with us, we we talk to one another and we know what's going on. We're asking each other's opinion and advice. And so that would be maybe my number one advice would be just be involved with one another An analogy that we were given in premarital counseling is if the two of you are starting out as a brick wall, when you get married, what you're doing is one by one taking the bricks off of your wall and putting them together to make one wall out of all the bricks. And so everything that goes on with each of us, we share with one another and we are involved. And I think that really helps. I I like what you said about not having secrets. I think that's I think that's really important because I think it could be so easy to start with, you know, a small secret and then build upon that. A couple could do that Mm -hmm. or someone in the relationship could do that. So I think that's really, really important. We might get back to that a little bit further on in the conversation, but I want to talk just a little bit about what scripture says, not real in depth, but, and again, I'm going to be putting articles on the topic on both sides of this, I'll be linking because I do want to present both sides. Mm-hmm. But scripture, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. The, the relationships that men and men have that women and women have, but it doesn't. It doesn't stop there. If you look through the New Testament, it talks about brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You don't see a picture of, you know, we don't sit on opposite sides of the church. You know, brothers over here only interact with brothers. Sisters over here only interact with sisters. And one thing I was thinking of is my husband and I have friends that is a couple. Right. So we go out with the couple and my husband doesn't sit on one corner of the room and just talk to the husband. And I sit in the other corner and just talk to the wife. We sit together. We're all friends with one another as brothers and sisters. I don't say my friend 
and her husband are coming over for dinner, I say, our friends are coming over for dinner. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Very, very similar at our house. Um, We enjoy having uh, friends who are couples and being friends with both the wife and the husband. Right. And, and I know that this is a theme in Amy's book, so I won't get real into it, but so if, if everybody lived by this rule, especially the one that I'm seeing the most, where it's almost no interaction unless... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly no private interaction. Right. Whatsoever. The definition of private is actually pretty broad in uh, some of these interpretations of the rule, um, right. in, in, including public places. Yeah. So is, and I know that this is the subtitle of Amy's book, but is avoidance purity... Mm, yeah. Is avoidance uh, purity. I'm anxiously awaiting reading Amy's book just to see her insights into what kind of a culture this would create in the body if universally, if everyone was practicing this rule. It just makes me think about, we had a book when I was little, when I was growing up, and uh, it was called If Everybody Did. And it was a fun little book. Uh it was about, uh, for little kids, you know, the kinds of silly things that little kids do without thinking about maybe they're causing more work for mom or maybe it's uh, something that works out to be unkind to someone else. But it's very cute. There's a picture in this book. Each page is what would happen if everybody did. And then an example of something. My two favorite that I remember from this book, uh, what would happen if everybody did squeeze the cat. And there is a funny picture of a kitty cat. That's obviously the family pet that has been squeezed so much that its little belly is like an hourglass and just tiny in the middle. And there's another of what would happen if everybody did step on daddy's feet. And there's a picture of the dad's feet and they're very long and flat from being stood on so much. And so it just makes makes you think about maybe what you uh, did is no big deal for one person. But if everyone did this, what would it look like if we all did? And it does make me wonder if we all practiced the Pence rule exclusively and really never talked to people of the opposite sex or only did this in uh, public in groups, does this create a culture where we are really just avoiding one another? And um, are there certain groups of people who are going to be naturally just excluded sort of from the body as an outcropping of this? Does this produce brotherly and sisterly affection? Or does this produce something that maybe we're not really going for? Maybe we don't want this outcome. You know what? I think that's that's a great point. One thing I've actually thought about too is what about pastors? Because <laughs> right. um, I don't hesitate to call up my pastor on the phone <laughs> to <laughs> for advice. And and I know that not I don't know any Presbyterian pastor or people that believe this, but I know I actually am aware of some pastors that do not counsel people without their wives there. Do not mm. counsel women. Now, in no way, because somebody, one pastor said, so you're saying I should go into a closed door? And at any time I've gotten pastoral counsel, if he has a secretary, you know, secretary's in view, maybe not earshot, but in sure. view. 
And so that's, we're not saying, no, you should go behind a closed door and with somebody, you know, no, that's not absolutely. what we're Yeah. But, I mean, we're saying exercise wisdom, which a lot of times is going to boil down to case by case, what is wise in this situation. And sometimes it does look like counseling someone with the door open. Um, right. I know one pastor that I had, he had, I mean, the church was pretty, there's always people there doing something and, and whatnot. And so he had this really big window for his office mm-hmm, and he always mm-hmm. kept the window open with, with that. And another thing too, and I think this is, a, in, this is an interesting aspect. I, I can't believe how many people have asked me this, in, especially in your example of that everybody did, is how does this Effect. We talked about the Revoice Conference last week, but how does it affect same-sex attracted people, mm-hmm, people who mm-hmm. struggle with that sin? And you know, they're they're just only allowed to be with men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's possible that we may have minimized um, the number of people in the body who struggle with that issue. And it, it, just on a practical level, if, if someone is dealing with that issue from their past and they are a believer now and, and love the Lord, but it's still a sin that they have to die to. And now we're saying, hey, lady, you can only ever be around ladies. <laughs> right. That it, it could present an issue. At the very least, we're not considered, we're... And this is what I I think that there is are some aspects to the, this rule in particular that look a little like pietism. And this is what pietism does is it makes us believe that we have put a system in place that is producing righteousness when, in fact, we get our righteousness from Jesus Christ. And that is imputed to us um, when we believe in him by faith. So um, we don't. uh work a little harder, put a little bit more rules into place to ensure that we're producing righteousness because we aren't the ones producing the righteousness. It's something that you and I talked about, Colleen, a few weeks ago, the difference between genuine fruit and artificial. Yes. You know, when we, the, the fruit of the spirit that is produced in us, it's not something that you can fake. It's not something that you can muster harder. You, I, I've uh, heard it said before, like you, you can't white knuckle it. You can't just dig in harder and uh, produce this on your own. I, I think about, okay, we're talking about fruit. The difference between a real strawberry and a strawberry Laffy Taffy, there's no comparison. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're just not the same and we can all tell the difference. Um, and yet, oh, how many of us prefer the Laffy Taffy? Right. It's, you know, that cotton candy version, it's not really good for me and it's not really the real thing. And we need to rely on the Lord to produce the real thing in us. Yeah. And, and it's good to remember, you know, that the Westminster Confession says that sanctification is, I mean, catechism, sanctification is a work of God's free grace. And so that's right. If you are in Christ, you are being sanctified. There, there's no way around it. Now you will still struggle with sin and yes, yes, we need to, we need to seek wisdom and 
in these things, but it it can be very easy. And I've heard this from some people that came out of like independent fundamentalist Baptist that on the outside, we looked very sanctified. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. In fact, um, I was just reading uh, a conversation today about holiness. And it was a question from someone coming out of a fundamentalist kind of background. And they were just, some of the ladies were talking about how, you know, they had grown up being trained to look at these outward appearance things, length of hair, what kind of clothes someone is wearing, whether or not they're wearing makeup. And you could use those clues to determine how holy is that person. And the ladies were just talking about how Thinking about, uh, just like you said from the catechism, that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. It's not a work of what kind of haircut I have. You know, it's not something that I do. It's it's something that the Lord does for me in me. So it's not measured by wearing skirts every day and having money. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's really interesting. It reminds me, uh, this whole line of thought about this stuff reminds me a lot of ascetic Gnosticism. It's uh, kind of a view where where they separate the body and the soul from one another and treat the body, basically bodily denial, a harsh, harshness to the body. And so the real idea there is setting up a lot of rules that your body is going to endure. And in that framework, the definition of more bodily denial is that is more holy. And we know that that's not true. So, I mean, you can, you can look very holy on the outside and yet you have a porn addiction and you're looking at porn every night. So you're obeying all the rules you look very holy to everyone else and yet you're still you're still going home every night and spending 2 hours looking at porn or you know there's a lot of secret sins yeah and i think this is really really important to understand what angela is saying that in i think it's important to understand what is purity and not just in how it looks, but what real purity is, what real faithfulness in your marriage is. So, you know, so I think it's one thing I would would encourage talking to your husband about what is purity mm-hmm. and what it means to have a faithful marriage and to have purity in marriage, and that that includes even things like your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I I think I told the story about when I was at the Wesleyan Arminian Bible College and. The lady told me she hadn't sinned in three years. And I said, you know, she was entirely sanctified. And I said, well, that's never going to happen with me because my thoughts alone are Mm -hmm. wicked. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she said, well, those are just mistakes. But we understand that those are grievous sins. And so even even our thoughts. And so it's not just what we do on the outside, Mm -hmm. but even our thoughts and I think it would be foolish to think that if you just put these barriers in place, then it will absolutely mean that you'll have this adultery free marriage. And, Mm -hmm. and what Angela talked about when we're defining a healthy marriage as adultery free, and we need to be having good marriages beyond just being faithful, faithful. We absolutely need to be faithful in our marriages, but we need to seek so many other things. We need to seek the things that are in 
that are in scripture and being faithful to your spouse is one of those things. And there's many other things too. Mm -hmm. So this is why we always have to go back and see what does scripture say. One thing I wanted to mention just very briefly, because I do think this is a result of this there. I see this idea where, and we talked about this in the purity culture episode and I, I see it in the church. I hear it from women this woman will say to me, I feel like any time I attempt to interact with a man in the church, and I sometimes hear it from single women, but I've heard it from married women too. You know, I want to go ask, I know this guy over here is an expert in the Puritans and I want to go ask him a question. And I feel like, you know, here we are in church in the sanctuary after church, you know, it's mm-hmm. not inappropriate in any way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that attempted interaction is seen as suspicious. Like I must be trying to seduce this man because I'm attempting to ask him a question. I think this is one of the problems. It, it There's this idea and we see it in the purity culture stuff where men are uncontrollable and women are just seductresses. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. women are just going to seduce and men are not going to be able to control themselves. I mean, it's really this idea. And yes, while we know adultery is a thing, while we know that those things do happen, I mean, viewing a woman like that, a woman should not feel like that when she's asking, you know, a man in church that she knows is an expert on the Puritans about a good Puritan book on whatever subject. Mm -hmm. She should not feel like, I mean, I've heard women say, you know, a woman looked at me like, I must be being inappropriate because I was talking to a guy at fellowship mail. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that was yeah. sitting across the table. Yes. I, I have definitely um, had these same conversations with women about feeling like they were viewed um, basically as a risk, not as an image bearer. And um, yeah, I think that is an issue that's stemming from, certainly the purity culture and just ideas like this, that we, we start to reduce um, other believers in the body to um, what I see you as, as is a risk to me. And that goes back to what we were talking about, the kind of culture that we want to see in the body. Um, The kind of culture that the word tells us we need to have in the body is brotherly and sisterly. And it's it's hard to imagine those kinds of treatment and feelings being able to be characterized as brotherly and sisterly. Right. I think, and I think this is one of the things is having having just um, we're we're called to love one another deeply, First Peter one, or fervently, depending on the version. And but even I think what what flows from that is, is having pure interactions. I think that's Mm -hmm. part of loving one another deeply is desiring purity and sanctification for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and also being respectful. Yes. Being respectful, not assuming the worst. Yeah. There it's definitely, um, what I cannot get away from in my mind is this idea that, Um, When we look at the body and the way that the body works and interacts, it has got to look different than the world. It it just has to. That is, by definition, we are different. It makes me think about, have we been so influenced by our culture where everything is sexualized um, that 
we cannot, you know, I think about some of these conversations that we've been a part of. Someone will say a man and a woman should be able to have a relationship. And then immediately we recoil at the word relationship. We can't even use a neutral word like relationship without that meaning something salacious. We have automatically assigned these sexual values and sexual ideas to things that ought to be inherently neutral. Just like you said, we should be desiring purity. We should be, uh, we should not view our brothers and sisters who come to us, like you said, at church, asking a question about a book as you are an opportunity to sin sexually. Right. And, and I was thinking that same thing that, that this, I think even the purity culture and some of the things that we're talking about here is exactly what Angela said. It's a, it's a worldly outlook on men and women Mm -hmm. that men and women can only be these things. And, and in purity culture, women are taught that you may even without realizing it seduce man. Oh my. If, If you, if you wear the wrong thing and they lust, that is your fault. That's just such a heavy burden. Yes. Oh, it, it absolutely is. There's a, there's a lot of heavy burdens on women out there that I think are unfair and wrong. You know, things like um, if your husband looks at porn, it's because you are not doing something that you ought or some of these different things. Well, we just wanted to spend a moment on that, but let's, let's talk about boundaries for a minute because I want to read an article. I mean, not an article. I want to read something from an article I'll be linking in the in the notes. And she says, but reasonable, reasonable people know the difference between a business meeting over breakfast and drinks at a hotel bar at night. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a a good sentence about what I'm talking about. We, we are not at all saying I, I've never been out alone with a man. You know, I think, well, I've, I've been alone in the car with my son's friend who lived with us, who's, you know, 22. But other than that, I don't recall being alone with a man. That's not Mm -hmm. what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not saying go out and have a candlelight dinner with a man. But there, there may be instances. You may be somebody in, out working. And there may be instances where there are appropriate lunch meetings. Mm I think that's an important point that you just made, Colleen. This, the idea that I think the folks who are raising questions about implementing the Pence rule, they're, they're not saying, I want to fight for having a, a gaggle of male friends who I go to candlelight dinners with. Um, one of the conversations that I was involved in, the example kept being given going to the movies with a man by myself. I've never I'm done not, that. No, and I, I never I, would. I, right. I, I, it's hard. If, it's hard for me to conceive a situation where that would work out that way. So uh, these are not the kinds of things that we're talking about. But right. I can immediately take my mind to some friends. Uh, that we have. I know a single lady who works at a church and I can imagine, you know, because this happened for me a lot of times when I was working, you know, you're working on a project with someone else and it's going really well. And uh, the 
you know, creative juices are flowing and now it's time to eat and we're starting to get a headache. You know, you can order food and have it delivered and sit in the office and work together. You can go somewhere uh, out to lunch and continue to work on the, on the issue. I'm just thinking about folks that I know that work for churches that I'm certain that those kinds of situations arise and they would like to have the freedom maybe to do that and not be viewed as inappropriate or unwise for doing those sorts of things. It it just seems like it's plausible that those those sorts of interactions could be completely innocent. And maybe we should start from a place of viewing them as innocent. Right. Now, you know, if I had a friend who was going out with a man, not her husband, alone on a regular basis, I'm I'm going to say something to her. That's probably not wise. And this is why mm-hmm. it's important mm-hmm. to say what is wise. And let me talk about wisdom here for a second. I, I do have some male friends, and I'm going to talk about that in a practical level in a little bit. But one thing, I, there are things, there are things I absolutely do not talk to men about. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I have an intimacy with my female friends that I will never have with with men. You Absolutely. know, I have an intimacy with my husband I will never have with anyone else. I'm not going to go to a male friend, even if it, I I'm I know he's listening because he listens every week. But I have a and I will call him my friend, and he's old enough to be my father. And when my husband and I we went on a cross-country trip. Our whole family met with him for lunch. It was delightful. It was wonderful. And we private message on Facebook. It's usually, look at what book I just got because he likes to read different theology books. And he's been happily married forever. And and Or he'll say, you know, the other night he messaged me and said, all my kids were home at the same time. And that doesn't happen very much because his kids are all grown and, you know, live all different places. And so that that's our conversations. I, even though that is definitely a relationship that he's old enough to be my father, I'm still not going to go to him with a personal problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I might go to Angela, I'm really struggling. Can you help me out? And so this is what I'm talking about. Wisdom mm-hmm. is that those and boundaries is that those relationships are very different than female relationships. Of course they have boundaries and that is wise to have boundaries. Absolutely agree. This is one of the things that uh, Matt and I have done our entire married life is be very, very careful who you go to with your marriage issues. And I'll even be honest and say that we are very, very hesitant really to take marriage issues, even to most of our friends. So uh, we're very private about our marriage. And in many ways that has served us really well. I would not want to make that a rule, just like (laughs) the fence rule. But, um, you know, I think I I really cannot imagine, you know, if we had a fight or uh, we're trying to make a hard decision and we weren't agreeing yet, I really cannot imagine taking that to you know, a male coworker and sharing that would be in the, uh, under the heading of unwise (laughs) for us. Right. And we're, we're actually the exact same way. There's very, very few people that Brent and I, you know, through our marriage have gone to with a marriage problem. 
it's yeah. usually uh, for me, I mean, it's usually our pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. usually, uh, or for me, an older woman mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. who I am going to go to even more than a woman my own age, even more yeah. than a friend. Um, you know, I even have very, very, even with, see, this is where boundaries, even in all relationships are necessary. I have very strong personal boundaries that I've set for myself. I do not talk about my husband negatively to anybody ever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it, that is something that um, we strive for as well. It's some advice that my mom gave me right before we got married and something that I saw my mom do growing up. My mom never, never spoke poorly about my dad to uh, us kids or to other people outside of our house. And, you know, I want to say that's, you know, you and I have spent some time um, on this episode talking about how much we love our husbands and how wonderful it is to be shown directly how Christ loves the church. But that doesn't mean that we never have problems or issues uh, to work through. And so I'm just saying, parents too, no no one's perfect. Marriage is hard. We have a lot of, uh, you know, it's a couple of sinners. Yep. Um, trying to work through it all together. And my mom just did a really great job of showing me how to always speak to us about our father in respectful and uplifting ways. And certainly to outsiders outside of our family, the very same. And that's that's something that we do in our marriage. I, I think that that is something that, if practiced, kind of shuts down some of these open doors that says, you know, if you're tearing your husband down to other folks, pe- people notice that, you know, okay, they are, they have an issue. And if there is a weakness there, now it's exposed. And that's just uh, something that we consider unwise and something that we don't do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you should say that about your mom because my mom did the same thing. And my mom, my mom is a very very calm, gentle, very strong and wise, but she rarely, rarely would even ever raise her voice at us. And Mm -hmm. when my sister and I were teenagers, we were driving down the road. I'll never forget. I can tell you exactly where we were, what street and everything. And my sister and I were saying some bad things about my father Mm -hmm. and my mom pulled the car over and she turned around. I think my sister was in the front seat and I was kind of in the back. And she said very firmly, don't you ever talk about mm-hmm. your father like that. And so from my mom, who, you know, was just so gentle and, and very calm and stuff for her to just very firmly say that was like, wow, she means business. Like we better never do that. But it made such an impression on me, even as I got married, that my mom was, she was defending her husband. It was, don't you ever talk about my husband like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I love that. It wasn't that my parents had this perfect marriage in any way, but she understood what it meant to honor her husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so with boundaries and wisdom and talk about this with your husband, you should have boundaries. Maybe you're a young married woman. Talk about the boundaries that you're going to have in all of your relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I decided very early on, I think 
possibly before I got married or shortly after that I, you know, I had married friends who would complain about their husbands. And sometimes I'd say, how come you never like join in on the conversation when I talk bad about my husband? Because I, I don't, it doesn't mean that I don't have things that go through my head, but I don't think that that honors my husband. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to honor my husband because trust me, you're, you're going to have times if you're newly married, or maybe you're soon going to get married, you're going to have times that you're really upset with your husband and you're tempted to vent to someone. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we have this little rule in the theology gals group, but I think it's a really good rule for life that venting usually is not a fruitful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Venting is something usually you're doing to make yourself feel better. So in the group, if somebody says, I'm just going to vent and they're just venting, we won't approve it because we don't think that that's fruitful. And I always like to ask myself, and I'll say to the, the group admins, I don't think that that post is fruitful. Mm-hmm. And And I think we need to ask ourselves to think about Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, I don't think it's so wholesome to talk poorly about my husband or anyone else for that matter. Right. It's not fruitful. It's not godly. It's not biblical. So, but more than anyone, I mean, we should not be talking that way about anybody, but I think we're most often tempted to talk that way about our husbands and it's not godly. Absolutely. But let me just remind you real quick, because I never want to neglect to do this because I know that we're all guilty, even if it's just the thoughts that are in our head. Because trust me, I've had some pretty rotten thoughts sometimes that <laughs> it's it's always good to remember the gospel and mm-hmm. it's always good to remember Christ that that his righteousness is ours and that we are forgiven. And so I never want somebody to walk away from this podcast and think, wow, I'm just such a failure. I want you to walk away being reminded that, well, yes, you are a failure, that, that you have Christ's righteousness, that you are forgiven because of Christ and his work. Amen. That's right. So let's move on to the last one since we're getting short on time. And I want to talk about the practical for a minute because I've been as this conversation has gone through on a very practical level, and this is what I mean about different boundary, different boundaries in different situations. So about a year and a half ago, my son has a friend that he's 22. I mentioned him earlier. He's 22 now. I think he's 21 at the time. And he did not have a place to go. His stepfather had died. His mom was moving away. He wanted to stay in the area. I mean, he, he could have been homeless. And... So my son came to us and said, hey, would he be able to stay with us for a while until he can get on his feet? And he doesn't really have a lot of family. And so we we really took him in. You know, he he was telling me actually just yesterday because he doesn't live with us anymore, but he's still over here all the time. He said, yeah, I told them that the Sharps adopted me. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, this is like you know, a lot of kids like to hang out at our house. Our house is the hangout place for all my son's friends. But the, this kid, he lived with us for six months. We helped, we, we got him a car and helped him get on his feet. And we still invite him to spend holidays with us and get him presents at Christmas and, and everything. And, you know, he just went with us over to some family's house for a family get together. I called him and said, Hey, we're going, you want to come? You know, he's there for Thanksgiving there for Christmas and everything. And 
he's a 22 year old man and he's not related to me whatsoever. Well, one day, most of the, I'm not often home alone with having several children. There's usually someone here, but he, he came over and I realized, wow, he, he's here in the house. You know, he wanted, he wanted to hang out here for a little while. And, and I chatted with him for a while and I didn't even think about it. Like I'm alone in the house with a man who's, who's not, I mean, I'm like a mom to him, and, but no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But under the Pence rule, this would be inappropriate to some, mm-hmm. to some level. Now, if he, if he was hanging out here one day and said, Hey, I'm going to head over to smash burger. Do you want to go with me and we'll get a burger? I, I wouldn't think twice because I'm like a mom to him, but right. under the Pence rule, and this is what I mean. I think we have to be careful with saying this is an absolute rule. Under the Pence rule, this would be an inappropriate thing, even though I really see him like a son. He sees me like a mom. You know, he talks to me about his girlfriend, (laughs) you know, and whatnot. And so I, I thought about in that context. And this is why I think what I said earlier is so important, that there's different boundaries depending on the situation. Absolutely. Amy Bird says just one thing from one article that likely requires case-by-case boundaries, Mm -hmm. promoting the exercise of wisdom in different circumstances. And so a lot of people seem to have neglected to read that part of an article that everyone's criticizing. Uh Okay, so with Daniel, his name's Daniel, with Daniel... I may hop in the car, I'm in the car alone with him and head over to Smashed Burger and get lunch because he's like a son to me. It, it's a different circumstance where I may not, I'm probably not going to do that with my friend's husband. Right. Who is, who is a friend also because we're, we're all friends. My husband, you know, my friend, her husband, me, we're all friends together. And right. so this is what I think depend. Depending on the relationship, depending on the circumstance, and this is why it's important to to chat with your husband about what some of those things are going to be. I mean, there's, I really don't foresee very many situations in my life that I would ever be alone with, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with a man, because I'm not out in, you know, out working or something, but I do have these very practical things in my life, I'm not going to say, Oh, Daniel, I'm sorry, you can't come in right now because then we'd be alone. And then it goes against the rule or something, you know, usually if he comes over (laughs) the rare times that he comes over and no one's home, you know, I'm usually off doing something and, you know, he may go down and play video games or read a book in the basement or something like that. It's not like I'm even hanging out with him the whole time. We might chat for a little bit. So that's why I think it's important to remember that. Now, in regards to on a practical way on what these friendships look like, I thought about this just tonight because I was having a, I know some people will frown on this, but I was having a private chat with on Facebook with a guy. This is a guy that is lots younger than me, but it's a fellow podcaster that I know. And so he was messaging me about some podcasting thing. And so we were chatting. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, only been married. I don't know how long he's been married, but he's been married for not a super long time, has little kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband and I are, will be soon empty nesters and, and whatnot. And, and, and I'll have occasional conversations with him. And I know his wife sees our conversations, you know, she, I might say, Hey, you know, I would just tell my husband, I was just talking to, I'll just call him Tom, just talking to Tom. And, you know, we were talking about blah, blah, blah. But I, I definitely, this is not somebody that I would go and say, I have a really big 
you know, personal problem. And I don't, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) this is what I'm talking about with, with different boundaries where some people would say, Oh, that's, I I know that there's people and maybe that is a rule. I, let me just say, if that's a rule Mm -hmm. that you have, then I respect that. I'm not saying that you absolutely shouldn't have that rule. What we said in the beginning is that we don't think that we think we need to be very careful with saying this is an absolute mm-hmm, if it's mm-hmm. not something that scripture calls an absolute. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think uh, I want to pick up on something you just said that I think is really great advice as far as how these relationships work out practically. I think it's really important if you have a friend that is the opposite sex, especially if they're married, is to always be open to including their spouse. Always seek to honor their marriage, not looking to cut the other person out. But um, I think about, this is not an ongoing day-to-day relationship, but I have a really good friend from high school who I'm still in touch with occasionally. um, And he's a man. And every time that we talk, it's a brief uh, message or text usually only a few messages long, but I almost always ask, how's your wife doing? And just show some honor to their marriage. And I think that that, it goes back to what Amy Bird is talking about, um, that it's not about avoidance, but helping one another in sanctification, lifting lifting one another's uh, marriages up. That's something that we can do through these kinds of friendships. Right. And let me just say, it is probably not a good idea for you to friend your ex-boyfriend on Facebook and then private message him. Okay. This is, and this is what wisdom, this is what we mean by wisdom. You know, I, I'm aware that Mm -hmm. I've heard stories that that sometimes doesn't turn out in purity. So we're not uh, talking about license to do any kind of crazy situation. (laughs) Right. We're absolutely not. But we, what we do want to encourage is, is purity and, and real purity, not Mm -hmm. just, you know, what Amy Bird says, avoidance isn't purity. Right. And, I have not read her book yet. I've only read the few articles, but it's something I'm excited about her book because it's something that I have talked about for a long time. In fact, another reason I was thinking about, here's another practical. My brother-in-law is a good friend, okay? Not only is he a very good friend of mine, he's a very good friend of my husband's. And right now I'm helping him plan an event, you know, so... He calls me on the phone and we're planning this event and, and whatnot. And I don't think twice. Now, some people would say, well, that's your brother-in-law, so that doesn't count. But but it is, again, another man that I'm talking on the phone to. And one thing I neglected to say early in this conversation, I actually talked to two pastor friends of mine. Yes, I even have pastors that are friends about this very thing and had a phone conversation with a pastor friend of mine just I, I often will do that when we have a podcast about different things. So I, I actually did. I actually had a Facebook chat with one of my pastor friends because I, I like to talk. I think that pastors have a lot of wisdom. And so I'll sometimes say, hey, can I get your thoughts on this? Have you followed the controversy? Have you read the articles? One of them had, one of them hadn't. And so I had to fill the one that I had the phone conversation with. I kind of filled him in with everything. 
And, you know, and I think, I think being pastors too, at least both of these pastors have so much wisdom and I really respect them, which is why I will go to them and say, Hey, can I get some, your thoughts on, on, you know, this, this or that, whatever we're talking about. Cause I will, I'll, I'll go to them before we do different podcasts. In fact, you know, when we did like the women's roles, one, one of these mm-hmm. pastors is one that I talked to and, and they had just some really, really good things to say. And I think that both of them would be in agreement with everything I've said tonight for my conversations with them. And I think that they have a different perspective because they said, well, you know, I, I do emails with female congregants all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course I have to always seek purity and have appropriate boundaries. And, and so they, they have really thought through these things a lot, which I really appreciated their perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on this. It makes me wonder a little, some of the folks, okay, first of all, the, the, the folks that we talked about earlier who started this rule, Billy Graham, Mike Pence, these guys are famous. They've got a lot of people around them. We could say that we see wisdom in having some boundaries in a situation where there might be lots of folks out there who would like to damage your reputation. However, when we see this on a practical level, just everyday folks in the body, I do wonder sometimes if the that a lot of the folks that we're talking about who are very excited about this rule and feel like it needs to be something that everyone does and and believe that this is the definition of wisdom. It makes me wonder, are these people mostly younger, maybe um, new in their marriage and working on gaining some experience? And uh, what made me think of that is just what you just said. I'm thinking about you know, you went to um, your pastor friends because you believe that they had a lot of wisdom. I think this is something in the church, in the body that we, I think there are times we could do a better job of younger folks gaining wisdom from older folks. And maybe there's a lot of reasons why that transfer isn't happening, but um, it does make me wonder if, you know, if we talk to some of the gray head folks uh, in our lives, in our churches, if they would say, well, you know, there's going to be a lot of situations where that won't work. And then they'll launch in and tell you the stories of, uh, you know, how they've had to exercise wisdom and give you that godly advice. That That is such a good point. I actually thought that exact same thing, Angela. I was thinking um, in some of the conversations that I had, that there did seem to be not always, not always, but in many mm-hmm. instances, a difference between the younger and maybe not super young, but, you know, maybe, maybe even 10, 12 years into marriage. And then somebody I talked to that was 25 years into marriage, mm-hmm. both of the pastors that I talked to, one of them, did he say 27 years he's been married? I, something like that. And then the other one, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think married about the same amount of time that Brenton and I have been married. So I, I think that's true. I see that. I see that with so many things and I see that with myself. And, and I think this is really another really important point. And that is that you may change. And, And that's why I told the story about how my husband and I changed. And you know what, even what we do now, we're, we're always, reevaluating and saying, 
this is working, this isn't working. And it's something I've talked to my married friends about that in marriage where you, you change things in your parenting, you mm-hmm. change things in your, in your marriage. And so I think that's, that's an excellent point, but I think it's also important to, one thing I always tell young couples, because a couple that we had in our lives gave us this advice when we got married, they said, find some older couples you can spend time with and learn mm-hmm. from. One mm-hmm. of the best pieces of advice that I ever got and I always pass it along because I think that's so helpful. So that's that's one thing as you and your husband are doing all sorts of things in your marriage, talk to older couples if you're trying to mm-hmm. figure out various things. Absolutely. I, I remember the first church that Matt and I went to after we got buried, married, there was um, an older couple who we were in our 20s and there was an older couple who was in their 70s and they were just the sweetest, most precious couple. And we were in their Bible study and we still we haven't seen them in years and years. And we still we still talk about them and we still talk about uh the wisdom that they had. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I think I probably have learned more from some older couples that we've had in our lives than, than almost anyone. So, well, I know that this has been a really long episode, so we won't do a yeah about that. We really want it. This was Angela's initiation. Yay. Did I pass? (laughs) (laughs) You, you absolutely passed. We won't do like a, a Twitter poll. Did Angela pass? <laughs> we won't uh, do that. Be kind, Twitter. I know it's not in in the normal realm, but be kind, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. No, I was actually thinking this week because there was some drama and I was thinking, you know, I really thought I left drama behind in junior high, maybe high school. <laughs> and then you got on Twitter. <laughs> and then I got on Twitter or Facebook. But let, let me say this just in in ending because there, there, there were so many things like more that I could have talked about tonight. And I know just because of time, we're going to dig into this topic more because I'm, I'm hoping and pretty sure she'll say yes, that we'll have Amy on in her book comes out. I think June 25th might be the date. And, but it is coming up. We'll announce it when it is out. And at some point after the book comes out, we definitely want to have her in on, I want to talk to her about these things. So I have no idea what, aside from what Amy's written on a few blog posts, I don't know what she'll say. I don't know if she'll agree with things we said or disagree in, in, in their entirety. So I'll look forward to hearing what she has to say. And she's really investigated this topic. So I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. But one thing that I, I just still want to encourage everyone to do is, is make sure you understand what both sides are saying. I do understand what the the Pence rule is good is saying. And and if that's what a couple decides, then, you know, I, I respect that that's what they decide. And I think Angela and I were talking about this and we said, you know, probably if you looked at our lives, it might look like for the most part that we follow it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Because we're not going out with men or anything like that. But what what we're saying is but but then I gave you those examples mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the fact that I do have men in my life 
that I consider friends. You know, Daniel, he's not a family member. He's my son's friend. Do I have a more motherly relationship with him, mother-son? Yes, I absolutely do, but it's still a friendship. I've got another young man that I consider a friend. Our conversations are almost always did you read such and such a book? He's an avid reader. Did you uh, see this article? What do you think about this theological thing that my court and said, or, you know, something like that, that that's our conversations. Again, he's my son's age. He just happens to love theology. And so he'll ask me questions. He's a young man with wife and a child. And, you know, it, it again, it's, I will say, yes, it's somebody that I would say my friend. But again, I'm well over 20 years older than him. And that's what we're saying, that the friendships are not, we're not going out, you know, all the time with men or anything like that. We're not even promoting that. We're promoting wisdom and boundaries. Mm -hmm. But those are going to be different depending on the relationship. And exactly. But most of all, more than anything else, what we are promoting is biblical wisdom and and also purity and faithful marriages and and having healthy marriages. Mm-hmm. And and if you are struggling in that way, again, I just want to reiterate, go to your pastor. Pastors can sometimes have be such wonderful marriage counselors. And if your problem is beyond, I I oh, there are good pastors out there that will say, you know what, I I can give you certain counsel, but I think that I would like to send you to this counsel over here. And I know pastors that have done that. And so if you're dealing, maybe you're dealing with abuse in your background that's playing into your marriage and your pastor might say, you know, I can still give you biblical counsel on marriage, but I would like to send you to this Christian counselor over here. You know, so we're not saying pastors are the only ones that can offer Christian counsel, but they can often have just very wise counsel in, in, in figuring all of these things out and helping if you're struggling in your marriage. And lastly, I know I keep saying lastly, but I want, I want you to know this, especially if you're a young person that's struggling in your marriage, we can be confident that if you and your husband are believers, that you are being sanctified because that's Mm -hmm. what scripture says sanctification is happening if you are in Christ. And there may be times where your marriage feels hopeless, Mm -hmm. but it is not because of Christ. And I have seen people that are having a rough, horrible time in their marriage. They're just, they don't even like each other. And I, and the Lord works in both of them and in their marriage. And years later, they just have such a strong, wonderful marriage. And so we always, no matter what you're going through, we always have hope in Christ. So don't want to neglect to say that. Do you have any last words since I just threw a whole bunch of No, I cannot top that. That is a fantastic (laughs) way to end. Well, thank you so much, Anne. I'm so thrilled that you agreed to do this. And we've got some really exciting things coming up that we're planning. We've got an apologetic series coming up. It's not, we're going to do some presuppositional apologetics and evangelism. And we've got an ex-Mormon who's going to be coming on and tell her story. It's wonder. She's just a wonderful lady. We've got, so we've got some really, really exciting things coming up. And times ahead. Yes. I, I told Angela at first, I said, we'll do all interviews while you fill in. And then I hit her with <laughs> turned into. <laughs> but and I'm not sure how long how long 
that Ashley will be gone, but we're really, really grateful that you could fill in Angela. So I am so glad to be able to uh, help you when you, uh, what you and Ashley have been doing on this podcast um, to serve women in the body and not just women, but um, I, I know I shared earlier, I've, my husband has listens to theology gals. And so um, I'm so, so thankful for what you guys are doing, and I'm so excited to have a chance to help you out. Okay, so before we go, don't forget, if you're not following us on all of our social media, I put links in the episode notes. If you're a woman want to join our group, there's a link in the episode notes to that also. You can pretty much look up Theology Gals on any social media, and you'll find us. And if you'd like to support us... You can go to our Patreon. That's also linked in the episode notes. You can go to patreon.com and look up Theology Gals and you can support us just a few dollars a month. And I think that's about it. Well, thank you everyone for bearing with us on this episode and we will see you next week.